The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want you to turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And about once a year, I had purposed in my mind as your pastor to preach a message on godly dating and godly relationships. Um, it may be repetitious, but I can't really make up anything new out of the Word of God. It may be something you've heard before. I hope it is. But I feel tonight that that's where I need to go. I, I don't know exactly how the Lord works um, in leading men uh, who are his ministers to messages. I do believe he, he uses their experiences in many ways, maybe to burden them. And I suppose if I sat down and tried to figure out why this has been on my mind, probably because of the wedding this weekend, possibly, possibly because of that. But I really believe more likely because of the world we're living in today. I will tell you that in many churches, and I'm sorry to say in many, if not most, homes, the principles of godly dating are not mentioned, much less studied. And the rules of godly dating and godly relationships and what we should be looking for and how we should be conducting ourselves in our quest uh, for the path that God has put us on, um, that's neglected so, so often. So I want you to pray for me tonight that I can try to handle this topic, which can be very sensitive. It can be dealing with the most sensitive of subjects, certainly. And, and I want you to pray for me that we can get something out of this that will help our young folks, but not just our young folks. It'll help all of us. You say, well, I'm married, everything. Well, you know, uh, that's great. You need to know these things, though, so you can teach somebody who's not married. Uh, you might not always be married. You may need to hear this uh, for something in the future. So you need to keep these things in mind and, and, and know these things. So if you will, as I said, turn to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Notice the first part of that verse in particular. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. And, and we're going to come back to that particular principle in a moment. But notice that God has placed a particular pattern in, in this world for how the physical and intimate relationship between man and woman is to occur. And it's in the context of the marriage relationship. And I, you don't have to turn. I'm going to do like Brother Buddy did the other day. He gave us a good disclaimer at the beginning of his sermon, and I'm glad he did. He said, if you want to take notes, that would probably be the best thing because we're not going to turn to every single verse. But there's several verses that I'm going to mention and quote that, uh, that will help you out. And first, first of all, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22 Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. <clears throat> you know, in the world today, there's a lot of 
uh, downplaying of the importance of marriage. I, I can't think of a TV show on the broadcast networks or cable channels that doesn't have somewhere in its main characters either a couple that's living together outside the bonds of marriage or who are engaging in, in, in the physical relationship outside the bonds of marriage or, or even nowadays you can't hardly see a, a, a TV show that doesn't have a homosexual couple who is a main character and is, it, it, it is promoted among, uh, throughout this show. But notice what the Bible says. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all. And he says, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. You know, people, don't they run you down? They say, oh, man, you're about to lose your freedom. <laughs> if you're, you're a young man, particularly that's engaged, say, so you better have one last blast because you'll be tied down from here out. The old ball and chain is going to be dragging you down. But, you know, that's not what the Bible says about a wife. That's not been my experience with a wife. I'll tell you, when I found a wife, I found a good thing. <laughs> you know that statement that the Lord made about Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for this man to be alone. There's all kinds of problems that arise when I'm alone. I need my wife. I needed to find her, and the Lord led me to her, and it's been a good thing. You see, godly relationships are a very good thing. Godly relationships are promoted in the Word of God. And you say, man, Brother Chris, this is the most mysterious path there is out there. I'm just out here, feel like I'm treading water in the deep end. And I don't have any clue what to do in my search for the right path and the right mate in my life. Well, I've got some good news for you. There's some scriptures that will help you in your, in your dating life. You know, that's what I love about the Word of God. And whether you call it dating or courting or whatever it may be, uh, there's guidance for us. There's guidance for how these things ought to be uh, conducted. So, again, back in Hebrews 13 and 4, notice he said, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And what he's telling us there is, is there's a way to do it right when it comes to relationships, and there's a way to do it wrongly. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 18, there's a little short statement, two words, flee fornication, flee fornication fornication. This is the best starting place I know of to talk about godly dating. It, it's, it's, not a, it's not a difficult passage, is it? It's, it's not complicated. You don't have to, if you're going to diagram this sentence, it's not going to take you long. You've you got to have, what is it, a subject and a verb and an object. Well, the subject is implied, you. This is an imperative statement. So when we're diagramming the sentence, in the subject line, put you, okay? In the verb or predicate line, put flee, okay? And I know, you know what that means, right? <laughs> and then you are to flee something. What is it? Fornication. It doesn't say fight fornication. It doesn't say 
flirt with fornication. It says flee fornication. Fornication is not a sin that we are told to fight. You know why he doesn't tell us to fight fornication? Because nobody is strong enough to win that battle. We have that human nature within us. We have those human emotions. We have, uh, as Brother Neil Honey and I have talking one time about it, it's a matter of biology. We are programmed to seek out and to uh, satisfy the lusts of the eyes and the lusts of the flesh and to engage in acts that demonstrate the pride of life. The Bible is as up to date as your biology handbook, I promise you. If you'd go to, you go to the university and take Biology 101, this Bible is more up to date than that, I promise you. Flee fornication. What is fornication? Well, the Greek word for fornication is going to sound kind of familiar. It's the, it's, it's the word called pornia. Ring a bell? Pornia. You ever heard of pornography? <laughs> pornia, you see. And all that is, what is, so preacher, you ask, what is fornication? It is any illicit physical activity or sexual activity outside the bonds of the marriage relationship. It certainly includes adultery. That means you're married, and instead of uh, satisfying those desires with your spouse, you go out with someone you're not married to. If you're not married, you say, well, you know, what's the deal there? That means engaging in any activity, any illicit physical activity when you're not married, you see. And, and, and look, the purpose of the Word of God in, in, um, in a very real way is to is to keep you from this particular sin. Do you know, you know, I, I love the Bible. I just love how, how practical it is. In, in Proverbs chapter 7, if you want to turn there, you can. I, I'm not going to forbid you from turning. But uh, in Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 1, and listen to this. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of the eye. Bind, of thine eye, bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart, say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Now listen to the purpose of these, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Notice the purpose of, one of the main purposes, I won't say it's the only purpose, Brother Buddy, but it's a primary purpose of the Word of God is to keep you from fornication, to keep you from the strange woman. And that's not somebody who's weird. <laughs> that's somebody who is not your spouse, either because you're not married yet or because you're already married. That's someone who is not your spouse. It's the strange woman. And the purpose of the Word of God is to keep us from that. And, and so how are we to deal with fornication? Stand there and steal ourselves and say, I can, I can handle it. I can resist it. No, flee fornication. You remember what we've read this many times in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But I, won't, I, I do want to turn there and, and read it again to you because... Uh, <laughs> There's some really good and important principles here that we ought to apply in every part of our lives, but especially in this area of dating. 
In 1 Corinthians 10, and let's just begin looking at verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You and I both have seen the situation. You may have, I hope you haven't engaged in it, but I'm sure you have seen it maybe in your workplace or your school or whatever social setting that you're in where, where some man usually starts flirting with some woman who is not his wife. And he says to himself, oh, it's just a little innocent flirting. Just a little innocent flirting. I want to affirm to you tonight on the authority of the Word of God, there are no such things as innocent flirtings. There is no such thing as innocent flirting. You see, he says here, you say, well, I can stand. I can, I can stand true to my vows. I can stand true to my wife or to my husband. He said, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You be careful, child of God. That is one of the uh, biggest downfalls we have is the pride that is inherent in our human nature. Now, notice, notice in verse 13, here's some, here's some good news for you and I who are subject to all of these temptations. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation uh, make a way to, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Here's another place where to flee. So notice what he says. Whatever temptation you're experiencing, you know, I've heard this, I've heard people have told me this before. Brother Chris, if you'd been there, you just don't understand. There's no way you could have avoided that temptation. There's no way you could have withstood it. The Bible says there is no temptation that's not common to man. You know, I think about David the king very often. I'm sure it was a great temptation to him as he walked on the, on the roof of his house there and he looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing. And, and you think, well, man, I tell you, if she's as beautiful as they say she is, it would have been impossible for me or anybody to have avoided that temptation. You know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says even that temptation is common to man. Every temptation, there is no temptation that you can face that has not been faced by someone else at some other time. Now, you may put yourself in the way of temptation, and you may increase the temptation by where you are and putting yourself there. And let me tell you, that's a bad idea. Bad idea. But even then, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But what does God do? You say, well, God leads me into temptation. No, he doesn't lead you into temptation. Let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God, James tells us. We are tempted when we are led away of our own lusts. That's what he says it is. That's where the temptation comes from. The devil didn't make you do it either, by the way. The devil could be bound. The devil could be absent from this place, and you'd still be a sinner. <laughs> Sometimes we think, oh, if the devil were just not here, every, there wouldn't be any sin. No, if you're here, there's sin, I promise you, because you're a sinner. There's going to be sin. Uh, the devil just helps it along in a great way. But he says here, uh, there's no temptation taking you, and that's what temptation does. It takes you. 
But such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Praise God, he's faithful. That's so glorious, isn't it? That he is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation do what? Uh, Grab you and pull you out of it and set you down somewhere else? No, that's not what it says. I'm not saying that he's never done that. He's done it to me. He's, he's intervened in a very real way from time to time uh, when, when I was uh, on the verge of succumbing to temptation. But he doesn't always do that. But here's what he always does. He will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You know what the way of escape is for fornication? To flee it. To flee it. Well, Chris, I just don't know about that. Do you know anybody that's ever done that? I sure do. Over in Genesis chapter 39, we read about a young man named Joseph. And this young man named Joseph was a godly young man who was trying his best to serve the Lord. And he had every reason to succumb to the temptation that was present in the place where he was. Think about it. He'd been, he, had, he, he could easily have said, God doesn't care about me. He's abandoned me. I'm, I've been thrown in a pit by my own brothers and sold into slavery. And now I'm a slave in an Egyptian's house down in Egypt. Maybe if I can have an affair with the Egyptian's uh, master's wife, my status in life will go up and my place will be secure. My safety will be secured. And she sure does have an eye for me. You know the story, Potiphar's wife set her eyes on, on, on Joseph, and, and she was, uh, she was uh, after him. And, and so, you know, he had every reason. You couldn't have blamed him, could you? I mean, you think, man, this poor boy, he's down there. Uh, uh, you, you just can't blame him for giving in. But notice what he did. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 11, it came to pass that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she, that's the master's wife, caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. Now at this point, every other story would have said that he succumbed to her temptation, and, and, and everybody in the household uh, lifted him up as a, as a big man. You know, they, they, all, the, all the guy servants over there would be, they'd be praising him. They'd be, in that, you know, guys, that's the temptation that we have as well we want to look like a big guy in front of everybody else and, and there's a double standard out there you know that there's a double standard there, you know the the man the young man that is promiscuous is seen as this rock star and the young woman that's promiscuous is looked down upon i want to tell you beloved that there there should be no double standard both are equally wrong both are equally wrong but can't you just see every, how many stories ended that way? But not Joseph's, not Joseph's. If you can't think of anybody else who's ever fled fornication, look to Joseph. He was a young man. He was probably still a teenager at this time. He was still a teenager with all of the attendant temptations uh, that, 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 that beset teenagers. And she said, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. And got him out. He got away. He took off. He ran. You know, most of the time, that's not a literal commandment. Most of the time when he says flee fornication, that really simply means flee it in your mind and spirit and stay away from it and don't look in that direction. But let me just, 
Let me just encourage you, beloved, especially you young folks. If you have to run, run. And I'm not going to go too far into this, but let me just say this. Satan has always tempted us with the false promise that the world is offering you something that God is denying you. That's how it started. Here's, here's what God said to Adam. Adam, we're not going to turn, turn and read it sometimes, second chapter of Genesis and the third chapter. He said, Adam, look at all this stuff in this garden. Look at all these trees. You know, back then, I was thinking about this yesterday or Friday as I was standing outside at this wedding at 6 o'clock as the sun was beating down upon my forehead, thinking how Adam could walk in the cool of the day. You notice that? Adam was, was walking in the cool. It was a nice, pleasant place in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't that pleasant standing out there on the hillside in Georgia, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, but Adam had all of these pleasures, all of these, this bounty. And he said, Adam, of every tree you may eat, except this one. Except this one. That's, that's what God said. You know what the devil said when he came on the scene in Genesis chapter 3? He, he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said you may not eat of this tree? In other words, God's trying to deny you something that, that he knows would be. He goes on to tell her, oh, well, the Lord knows this tree's special. This tree's uh, amazing. This tree is different than all the other trees. If you eat of this tree, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. God's just trying to keep you from so that's not God, first of all, that's not the whole point of God's statement was not you can't eat. The point of God's statement is you can eat. It's a positive thing. God has given us all this bounty, Adam. But he says the devil comes along and points out the negative. And that's what he'll do to you. I'll tell you, that's like I've told you before. If there was one place, if, if I could go every place in Tuscaloosa when I was a teenager, and there was one place mom and daddy didn't want me to go, that's the one place I wanted to go. Isn't that right? Isn't that the way it works? Well, I, they're trying to keep me from something. No, they're trying to, trying to keep me from harm. <laughs> See, God didn't put a wall around, around the physical relationship to keep something from us. He didn't put the marriage wall around the physical relationship between husband and wife to rob us of something. But he put the wall, the marriage wall around the physical relationship to protect it for us, you see. Because the devil will promise you everything. But I'll tell you what, beloved, he pays in counterfeit bills. He pays. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not going to turn. You turn to Proverbs 5 sometime, and you read what it says about the lips of a strange woman. They drop as a honeycomb. When you're listening to her, when you're talking to her, when you're engaging with her, oh, man, it sounds so sweet. That honeycomb mouth of hers is smoother than oil and verse 4 says though but her end is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword you ever have you ever taken a bite of something that you thought was going to be sweet and it turned out to be something totally different i was at a wedding several years ago and uh and you know how they dice up fruit in little little squares and 
Well, guess what? They, they do that. They did it with cantaloupe in this particular wedding, but they also do it with cheese that looks the same as a cantaloupe, okay? And so I, I got what I thought was cantaloupe, and I was, I'd already eaten a few bites, actually, of it, and I said, boy, that's good cantaloupe. Man, that's good. And the next piece I got was a piece of cheese. And let me tell you, I spit it out. I mean, I like cheese. Otherwise, I would have been fine to eat the cheese, you know. But I, I ate a, you know, I, was, I just thought, I didn't know what I'd gotten hold of. Now, I tell you that to say this. The, Lord, the, the devil will promise you all kinds of sweet things if you'll just do what he says. But when you finally get down to the point of, of tasting of the fruit, so to speak, it will be bitter. It will be better. <clears throat> Flee fornication. That's one principle in the dating relationship. Do not let yourself go there. Okay? Now, in light of that and in line with that, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm somewhat... Well, not really. I started to say I'm somewhat going to take this out of context. It's really not out of context, but look at verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now I, I find it, let me just stop there and say, I find it interesting that even in the first century A.D., the relationship between men and women was, was an issue. They were writing him a letter asking him, hey, can you help us deal with these issues? <laughs> And, and in the Corinthian church particularly, it was a problem. But, but notice what he says. And I'm, I'm going to stop there because this principle applies. It, 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 if you read the context, I believe it is in the proper context. But notice in the dating relationship, it, it, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, certainly Paul is saying it's also good if you can stay single and not marry and serve the Lord in that way. That's fine. But, but let me just tell you, beloved, whether you're going to get married or whether you've been married, if you're unmarried, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Proverbs chapter 6, sometime you look at it, verses 27 through 29 says, Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Now that reference there is to adultery. That reference is to what I was talking about earlier, maybe flirting outside of the marriage relationship. Uh, you don't think you can, you can do that and not get burned. You can't pick up a hot coal and it not burn your hand. So, um, but what he's saying here is, is that um, this applies to any kind of flirting around with fornication or, 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 or any activity leading up to that. So what does this mean for for the dating relationship. Well, one thing it can mean is this. Don't go to some fornication-filled movie on a date. Don't, don't go pick up your, 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 your date and, and go to see some triple R-rated movie or something that's just full of, of fornication and that sort of thing. Stay away from that. Don't engage in a lot of physical touching in a premarital relationship okay does that mean i can't ever hold her hand no i'm not saying that but you better be careful you better be careful it's a whole lot better to give her a salute <laughs> because you see as brother brother neil and i've already referenced him 
It's a matter of biology. We are built as human beings to desire the opposite sex. And any kind of physical relationship, holding hands or any other kind of physical touching, can lead to much more. It's just, it's just a matter of nature. It just happens, okay? <clears throat> you know, our prayer, according to Jesus in the model prayer, is lead us not into temptation. And, and, and a good corollary to that is that don't be stupid and lead yourself into temptation, okay? It's, if we're praying God not lead us into temptation, don't you put yourself in the way of temptation. The physical is something that God has reserved for the marriage relationship. And don't feel like the Lord is uh, trying to keep something from you. He's trying to keep you for it, okay? Which brings us to our next admonition. In Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. Now listen to what the writer of Proverbs says here. Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now, now I understand, before you get on me about the specific context, I get it. It's talking about a smaller child and the discipline of that child. But think about this. Does it not apply to the older child as well? Does it not apply to that person who's dating? Okay, if a little child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame, my goodness, what will a teenager do? <laughs> what will a teenager do? I, I'm not running them down. I, I, I've been blessed. Our children were teen. I guess we only got one left now. But anyway, uh, they, when they were teenagers, they weren't they weren't wild and they weren't hard to deal with. They had their moments, but they weren't big problems. You know, everybody said, "Oh, you got teenagers. It's going to be terrible." Well, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't it wasn't horrible. But, but, you know, part of the reason is because when they were children, when they were little, we didn't let them be to themselves. We didn't let them run wild. We didn't let them get off to themselves. And, you know, one of the things I've got to pick on Ashley, one of the things that I used to get on to her about, she was really the only one of our children that would go to her room and shut the door. You know, she would go to her room and shut the door when she was very young. And I said, uh-uh, Ashley, you're going to leave that door open. <laughs> Why? And then she, I'd get on to her and explain to her. And, you know, they, they do have a degree of privacy, but not too much <laughs> because a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And in the context of dating, okay, how does that apply? Well, the biblical admonition about spending too much time alone applies in the dating context because... Because when you get off to yourselves, when you get off by yourselves and no one's watching, oh, the temptation just ratchets itself up to a higher level. So date right. Date, don't put yourself in the way of temptation. You know, the best kind of dating is in the context of a crowd. The best kind of places to hang out is with your church folks. That's the best place. And I'm so thankful for what we have in this 
in this area. We have a lot of young folks that are able to hang out together that are of the same mind. They, they're of the same focus. They're focused on the kingdom of God. But don't get off, don't all, I'm, there's, there's a place as the relationship develops that I understand that uh, two young people need to get to know one another and you can't always do that in a crowd. But you know, at our house, uh, we got a little room there that, uh, that the doors stay open. It's the music room. And if they want to go in there and watch something, they want to sit on that couch, that's fine. But anybody can walk in at any minute. And usually it was Mason. But anyway, that's another story that walked in. But seriously, anybody could walk in at any minute and there was no idea of, oh, we're going to get off to ourselves alone. So don't go parking on Lover's Lane, getting off to yourself at all times, date in the context of crowds when possible. And, and let me say this too. Whatever you do, you need to prepare yourself ahead of time young folks I, I, I keep saying young folks us older folks need to hear this too but especially you younger folks prepare yourselves ahead of time don't fill your heads with images of fornication and i know how hard that is today because they are at your fingertips on your phones they are a mouse click away depending on where you live and what kind of uh, television uh, uh, provider you have, they're going to be flashing across the screen constantly. I get that. But do not fill your mind with images of fornication. And, and remember this too, as, as, I've, as you've heard this said, this is not a Bible quote, but it is a Bible principle. The idle mind is the devil's playground. And all that means is this, is that if your mind is in neutral, I promise you the devil or your human nature is going to figure out a way to fill it up with something that's bad. So instead of keeping your mind vacant, you need to be filling it up with the things that are good. Fill it up with the Word of God. Hide the Word in your heart. That means you've got to study it with your mind. Stay in the Word of, heart, uh, word of God. Decide beforehand. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Depend on Jesus. He is our supplier of every need for every moment. He, uh, my God will supply all your need through Jesus Christ, which strengthens us. That's Philippians, the fourth chapter. He will supply all of our needs. And remember what the oldest recorded book says. And that's the book of Job. Doesn't deal with the oldest things. Genesis deals with that. But Job, according to everything that I can determine from my studies and the, the, the theologians and the historians all agree that it was written first. Job says in Job 31 and verse 1, I have made a covenant with, my, with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? It's not what it says, is it? I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? You know, Job knew a secret that we would all do well to remember. And that's that the eyes are the gateway to the mind. What you look at is what you're going to think about. When you open a book, I, there are images that I have seen in my career as a prosecutor that I can never unsee. There are 
crime scenes and there are photographs of abuse that I, I was studying child abuse at one point and I was going through uh, some books and, uh, for a course and I, was, and I got the point, I had to set those things aside. Those images come to me now. Those images come to me as I stand here. I cannot unsee them. You know why? Because I let them in my eyes. And I had to in that situation. But you don't have to in every situation. Make a covenant with your eyes. That means think about it ahead of time and say, I am not going to look at images. I'm not going to fill my mind up with images of fornication. And I'm going to decide ahead of time that I'm going to guard my eyes. And when the temptation arises, you know, we think about old Joseph. When he was in the house alone and Potiphar's wife came in after him and laid hold on his garments, Joseph didn't say, hang on, let me me bow down and pray about this. Let, let Let me go to the Word of God and try to figure out what to do in this situation. No, he had to know ahead of time. When that temptation was upon him it was too late to pray it was too late to study it was too late to learn you need to know ahead of time and decide ahead of time and I promise you if you haven't decided and you're on the fence about it when the time comes I know which side you're going to go on it'll be the wrong side sometimes I got this objection by the way a couple of objections We're not doing anything wrong. I'll come back to that one in a minute. The other one is, don't y'all trust me? Don't y'all trust me? Well, the answer to that is, yes, I do trust your character. I trust all my children. I trusted their character. We tried to teach them right. I just didn't trust their experience. (laughs) Ashley took biology in college. But... I'm not going to go to Ashley and say, Ashley, I've got this tumor in my brain, and you've had biology, so I wish you'd operate on it and take it out. You know, I'm not going to do that because I trust her. I trust that she would do her very best not to kill me. But I don't trust her experience. I'm going to go to the most experienced brain surgeon if I need brain surgery. I'm not going to go to somebody who's had biology in college because I don't trust them in their experience. And that's the thing about the young folks, particularly, but some of us older folks too need to remember that. It's not that, it's not that I didn't trust my children. I trusted their character. I just didn't trust their experience to deal with these things. And then what I said earlier, we're not doing anything wrong. We're not doing anything wrong. We're going to be over here by ourselves. We're not going to do anything wrong. Well, that brings me to my next one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And you know, this one right here, is applicable personally, but it also kind of has an outward focus. All these others have sort of had an inward focus. And, uh, but uh, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 22, real simple statement as well. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If I'm dating someone and I decide, you know, I'm going to spend the night at her apartment and I'm going to be perfectly pure and perfectly godly in my dealings with her 
And I am perfectly pure and perfectly godly in my dealings with her. That still doesn't look good, does it? That still doesn't look good. And the Bible says it's just as important that everybody out there know that you're not doing wrong as it is for you not to do wrong. It's important that we not give forth the appearance of evil. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, you may not be. But everybody doesn't ascribe those same pure motives. Abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, we have liberty. We have liberty in, the, in Christ. I'm not going to turn there, but you can read chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians about that. But he says there clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, particularly verse 9, that we should not abuse that liberty. We should not take our liberty for license. Liberty is the power of choice. It's a right which you can assert. It's the authority you have. But, but we can become a stumbling block if we use our liberty for license. And the stumbling block is an obstacle which may cause someone else to dash their foot upon it. It's a spiritual hindrance to another by a selfish use of liberty. Don't do that. Don't do that. Not only be pure, but show it forth that you are pure. And now finally, I want to deal with this just briefly. <clears throat> Remember, we're talking about dating in the context of the church. So you say, preacher, what happens when I date somebody and I get close to them and I think they're the one and then we break up? What happens? Well, really, that can, I, yeah, I said, boy, that's complicated. That can be complicated within the church. That can be complicated within the context of the kingdom of God. It can be, but not really, not really. It's really pretty simple. Remember, you are both children of God, members of the kingdom of God. And you know, in 1 Timothy, I, I, I should have gone here before, but I'm going to go here now. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, if we've got the right focus on one another, even in the, say, dating's different, not really. Not really. The relationship in that context is still a relationship between two children of God. We'll say it's like marriage. That's different. No, it's not really. Is it? Well, you know, I can go home and let down, right? I do it, I'm sorry to say. But, you know, I'm the pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. But in a real sense, I'm the pastor of my family. I'm, I, and I, well, I am literally, brother buddy, I really am the pastor of my family. So when I go home and I treat them differently than I would one of you, I'm not doing what I should be doing. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 5, uh, just begin in verse 1, it's talking about relationships. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. Okay, ladies? You get that? You older ladies and you younger ladies, you treat the younger men as brethren. The elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters. With all purity. Hear that? With all purity. Sisters, young men, you look at every woman in this church, every young lady in this church as your sister in Christ. And you treat her like that, even if it's somebody that you're dating. If it's somebody that you're dating and, and she breaks your heart, you still treat her as a sister. 
Young ladies, if it's a man that you're dating and you, you, you've fallen in love, but it doesn't work out, you treat the younger men as brethren. See, it's real simple, isn't it? Because I'm going to tell you something. Dating is hard. I went through it. It was hard. And the nature of that kind of relationship is that it often doesn't work out. <laughs> and you've got to be prepared for that. And listen to this. If in that relationship you have been pure, then you can have no regrets. If you're the one doing the breaking up and you've been pure, you've treated that person with purity in a godly way, you should have no regrets. If you're the one that's being broke up with and you have been pure in that relationship, then you haven't given anything away that you'll regret. You see? And by the way, the kingdom of God is a greater treasure than some old boy or girl. <laughs> I promise you that. The kingdom of God is a greater treasure than some boy or girl you think you love. Remember Matthew 13, 44? And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof he goeth and selleth all that he hath, and he buyeth that field. I know we read this often in the context of weddings and marriage and all that. And it's, it's a good thing to read. It, it is. It's a, sweet, it's a sweet set of verses. But that is not the context of Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 doesn't have anything to do with men and women marrying or getting married. It doesn't. You know, I, I love it. It's a great thing at a wedding to read. But, but this has to do with the kingdom of God. Ruth says in, to her mother-in-law in chapter 1 and verse... In fact, let me, let me just say this. It's actually teaching something more important. She's trying to tell them, y'all need to stay here and get married. That's what Naomi's doing. You remember the... You, I, don't, I don't have time to get through all the story, but let me, let, me, let me just briefly sum it up like this. Naomi has lost her two sons, and their wives are staying with her. And Naomi is going back from... Uh, from, from uh, to Judah, from the land of Moab, Naomi is going back to Bethlehem, and she's telling these two young ladies, y'all need to marry and start a family, and you can't do it with me. You don't need to worry about where I'm going. You go out there and get some Moabite man. That's some real good advice, isn't it, from a, from a godly daughter of Israel? You know, what, you know what Ruth said? Ruth said, I don't care about all that. She wasn't, that was on her mind, I'm sure. Most young women are, I've I got to find a husband. I've got to get married and start a family. A biological clock is ticking. You know, all that stuff. Don't be fooled by all that. Ruth wasn't. She knew what was important in life. She said in verse 16 to her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge, and thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee. You know what she's saying there? Naomi, I don't care about all this marriage stuff. Yeah, I want to get married, and she does end up getting married. She's blessed because, I believe, because she stayed faithful. 
But she says, that's not what my priority is. My priority is the kingdom of God that I have just learned about from you. I didn't know anything about it. I was a Moabitess. I was over here worshiping false gods. And you have shown me the true way of worship. I have found the treasure in the field. And I'm not going to lose it. I'm going all out. And you're not going to pry me away from the kingdom of God. See, it don't matter what happens, what some old boy or some old girl does to you. Let me tell you something, beloved. you got the best boyfriend there's ever been. <laughs> you got the best father in heaven there ever will be. The Lord Jesus Christ is a better friend to you than any man or woman in this life. And you need to be close to him. Well, let's wrap this up. I'm sorry, I've taken too long already. <clears throat> Remember what we started out with in Hebrews he says in chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. I got some good news for you. Marriage, the way God set it out, is a good thing. And it is a good thing to seek after. And you need to seek after it in the right way. And if you'll follow these admonitions that we've tried to cobble together tonight, maybe in a, maybe in a weak way, but go back and read them and look at these biblical admonitions, then... When you marry, you'll have no regrets. If marriage doesn't work out, if that's not the end of, of this particular relationship, you'll have no regrets. And by the way, I don't want to leave you out if you messed up in this area. Because the Bible doesn't leave you out. You may have had problems. You may have done it the wrong way. The relationships that you've had may have not been godly relationships. But if you've had problems in this area, let me tell you, bring it to the Lord. Bring it to Jesus. Because He's the God of the second and the third and the fifth and the, and the 49th chance. You can start today living in a way that pleases the Lord. And I promise you, the Lord will bless you in ways you never expected. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.